to the Web3 Native Podcast by Longhash Ventures. And today, we're bringing you the first episode called DeFi Real Talk on the ground in Asia. So here's where we want to explore what's really happening on the ground in Asia, along with four of the leading lights in the DeFi space uh, based in Asia. So with us, we have Arthur from Defiance Capital. We have Mabel from Multicoin. Hi from SCP10X and TM from CoinGecko. So we're going to go to intros in a bit. Uh, I'd just like to set some context for today's session. So DeFi projects are growing really quickly in the current climate. And one of the recurring themes we keep hearing is that projects are, and founders are saying, we want to focus on Asia growth, right? Asia strategy, we want to build this Asia community. Uh, but often this kind of Asia's this whole black box where the teams don't know where to start, but they just know it's important. So today we want to shed light uh, onto this topic and hearing from people who are actually on the ground uh, from various countries in Asia. So let's go to each of the guests and start with a quick self-intro uh, and what you do and also where you are based. Shall we start with, yeah, just alphabetical Arthur? I'm, I'm Arthur. <clears throat> I'm the founder of Defiance Capital. Defiance Capital is one of the most active and largest DeFi-focused investment fund based in Singapore. Um, yeah, I personally, I've been an active participant and investor in the DeFi space since the very beginning. Uh, we witnessed the growth of the entire DeFi space, like such as uh, Aware from, from the launch to right now 20 billion deposits, uh, early days of synthetics, Kyberdang World, Sushi Swaps, yeah. So yeah. Um, continue to invest in the DeFi protocol around the world. Thanks, Arthur. I guess next one is myself. Yep. Um, yeah, hi everyone. My name is Mabel. Um, I'm from Multicoin Capital. Uh, I sit in Hangzhou, China, um, where the rest of the team is actually um, around like different places in the United States. Um, we run really two funds. One is the hedge fund, which you know deal with fundamental driven liquid strategies versus um, the other part is the, hedge, uh, is the venture fund where we invest in early stage private um, projects, token projects and companies. Um, I mean, DeFi is like part of our big thesis, um, three big thesis. And then I definitely think um, we've been spending a lot of time, you know, thinking about like, what are some of the pro product strategies comparing Eastern ones to the Western ones and also like what really kind of gives um, a project's more success versus the other ones in, in one specific region, although um, DeFi is a global liquidity. So um, I'm happy to be here and discuss with all of you. Thank you. Hi, um, hi Panish. I'm the CIO and Chief VC at SCB10X. Um, we are the digital technology investment arm of Siam Commercial Bank, which is the biggest and oldest bank in Thailand. Um, yeah, for me, I'm looking after both venture capital and venture building. Um, starting from last year, we identified that uh, blockchain and DeFi is the area that uh, can have potential disruptive um, future to the bank. So we would like to focus on that area to prepare the bank um, 
you know, for their time, that that thing could be much um, Yeah, I'm an engineer by background, and um, before SCB10X, I actually have been in uh, investment management for 14 years, uh, investing in technology sector, but more on the publicly listed side. It has been a lot of fun in the last one and a half years at SCB10X, and yeah, looking forward to uh, involve more and more in DeFi space. Um, myself, I'm TM, co-founder at CoinGecko. So CoinGecko is basically a cryptocurrency data aggregator where you can find out about prices and some market data for any tokens out there. Uh, you can look it up on, on CoinGecko. So um, DeFi has been something that we've been focusing on for quite a bit. Uh, we've been um, diligently trying to integrate, trying to make sense of all the data that is happening on chain. And we're trying to aggregate them and display on CoinGecko. And we're excited to be in this discussion to talk about DeFi in Asia and also like where these things go. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for the very quick self-intro. And so just to recap, I think we, we've seen, you know, we have people from Singapore, from China and Hangzhou, from Thailand, and also in Malaysia, and myself based in Singapore as well. Conversation, uh, very real, right? So we want to go with some very real examples and very practical tips. And, and so let's warm up with a bit of that. So the first question is around the the widespread kind of assumption that the Asia community is underexposed to DeFi projects, uh, and then that mainly we have these like token holders or speculators who haven't really used DeFi products. So maybe just understand a bit like anecdotally uh, among the people here, what are some of the DeFi products you are using or we are using uh, on a daily basis or weekly basis? And what do you see people in your circle in your community using or doing? Like to start maybe um reverse order tm yeah sure myself i've been just using DeFi uh like a regular user like i'm not a dgen user so to speak i mean i just like uh use things like bow lending uh swap services whenever i want to like uh, swap into tokens and stuff like that just for convenience right so i'm out of that kind of user um but of course like, like if i talk to people around me um, the, the, I've seen a uh, search in retail users that are coming in. Uh, obviously, the retail users, when they come into crypto, uh, they always uh, get on board through a fiat uh, gateway, a fiat exchange, for instance. And then when they are you know, adventurous enough, they will then graduate and then go into DeFi. But the places where they tend to use DeFi will be like Binance Smart Chain because the gas fee is more acceptable. And they start to see like uh, products like PancakeSwap, Venus, those are the usual suspects when it comes to retail users. But when it comes to even like, crypto native, um, we are always on a lookout for the new cool stuff that, uh, you know, niche, uh, new kind of products other than uh, similar products that has to happen on Ethereum being copied over on another blockchain. So I think um, what we're seeing right now is sort of like a going to maturity where there's this foundational product like ball landing stock, which is uh, around for a long time. And that's something that everybody will use. And of course, there's always this experimentation that we need to keep going to find new use cases. To, to push the, the space forward. Yeah, you mentioned Pancake, Venus, people that you're using. What about, what about yourself? What are some stuff you're using regularly? Yeah, myself, like, um, I do product as well, especially because, you know, sometimes the, the, the EU is good and it's yeah. cheap to, to use the service. But of course, like Ethereum, I use that a lot as well because a lot of my, uh, a lot of the assets that, that I'm used to are all there. Uh, you know, Uniswap, Switchy, Compound, Aave, those usual suspects. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, for me, I think um, Asian community is actually very active using DeFi products. I can see that from um, the circle of people around me. 
and also myself personally use this a lot. And I really believe that uh, being an active user of DeFi protocol is really a good way for you to actually understand, you know, different products out there, uh, the use cases, the white space, the gap from like a different existing products. And, and that actually can help you becoming a better investor as well. Yeah, so for me, um, yeah, uh, I believe in using what I invest. So definitely alpha finance um, is what I use a lot for you farming, um, especially like now they uh, relaunch alpha homora v2, which um, I think is very innovative and I love using it. So um, I, yeah, I, I use that earn strategy um, to earn yield for stablecoin, which right now can give like high 10%. And I also um, use that level you farm, like Wi-Fi and ETH cool um, in doing swap. Um, beside that, yeah, because we are the investor of Terra ecosystem, uh, we invested into Anchor Protocol, which is stable rate saving. So I'm also active there as well. Um, I deposit my um, UST, which is Terra USD stablecoin into Anchor to earn um, stable rate 20% fixed APY which I think is very innovative because, um, you know, other protocol, the interest rate quite uh, fluctuate, but this one is always stable. And also recently, uh, they also have um, insurance that available from Nexus Mutual, um, if you actually want to insure your deposit on Anchor. So I think that's, that's very good as well. Yeah, you just pay like 6.3% and um, you can get it insured. Yeah, so in general, I, I stake my um, alpha. I'm alpha uh, wolf warrior, which means that I have uh, more than 50,000 tokens of alpha. And I also stake um, Luna um, in SCB10X Terra node. Yeah, so I, I love using um, the five product and always love using the one that, that we invested in. Um, I think next one is myself. Um... Yeah, I think in, in China, people like to, um, there, there are a few types of people, right? Um, so I think to, to echo with what uh, Ty said about Alpha, I think there were quite a bit of ETH whales because they're miners and stuff. Um, they're looking for high yield. Um, and that's why um, Alpha V1, you know, was there because like they really solved the problem for, for ETH whales to, you know, find a, a good yield for, for ETH. Um, so that was like really for a really long time, like a lot of people using um, Alpha V1. And then um, there's a, a different bunch of people who were more like institutions, like they were looking for um, yield for their idle stable coins, because obviously not everyone is Bitcoin based and they, some of them, they do have some stable coins. So they're like, they obviously could do um, uh, curve, curve looks like one of them, like people all know, but there were some other ones, like, um, I think there's an BSD, I forgot, suddenly forgot the name. Um, but I guess that the caveat is that um, people generally like to have the enhanced yield for um, different stable coins. So that's another group. And I think um, for retail, they, um, comparing to the Western audience, um, they are definitely willing to go to wherever that's cheaper with cheaper gas which means um, in addition to um, Uniswap SushiSwap, which we were really familiar with um, on Ethereum, they also are super open to PancakeSwap, you know, where even myself do a lot of trading there. And then, um, you know, the, the Matic, QuickSwap Quick was another one, sorry, Polygon was the other one. 
and then sushi even like it has a lot of um, transactions and TVL on on Polygon. So I think um, generally speaking, I'd say people here in China are very open to uh, multi-chain and especially the EVM chains um, transactions and wherever that they can get like a really good kind of experience. And I think there, uh, lastly, um, there is like a very small group of people, but it's steadily growing, um, who are trading on top of um, the decentralized Bitmax, such as Perp. And Perp is on XDAI right now, um, also on the Ethereum. But I think you know that's a, a growing kind of audience, which I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, kind of summarize. Yeah, um, I will start with uh, among my circle, what DeFi products are people using? I think actually we're really seeing them using a variety of them. Uh, most people started from using the blockchain, but as the gas fee increased over the last few months, a lot more people start getting priced out of it. And as a result, most of the people with, uh, I would say less than a million dollar of balance that's start experimenting with the DeFi application on other blockchains such as uh, Binance Smart Chain and recently Polygon as well. Uh, myself, I have been using all of them as well just to try it out and experimenting with them. Back to the whole Asia community is underexposed to DeFi. I think it's like, first of all, we need to know that Asia is a very big region and I actually have thought of a good way to segment it. I will actually segment Asia community to, first of all, the English speaking community and the second one is the chinese speaking community and then there's an others yeah sorry to do so i think that the english speaking asia community are actually the fastest to catch our DeFi, um especially in singapore we actually there's quite a number of DeFi wheels in singapore because uh singapore have a very friendly uh, tax system for interacting with crypto and DeFi, and so that actually make the whole process easier and yeah, Singapore is just a pretty digital nation in whole. And we're also seeing other um, country like Philippines sort of thing. Um, they actually been earning some of their income on DeFi and NFT as well, such as Philippines and Indonesia. I think they are quite a big, decent group of uh, NFT players that play Axie Infinity and they've been actually generating income from playing this game as well. And so this, I think, also it making them interacting with DeFi as well. And then you have the Chinese speaking community which actually uh, has been growing very quickly over the last six months and to be a very big forces in as a user in most of the DeFi applications. So I would say that uh, a very significant chunk of the BSC community is slightly coming from the Chinese community and they are definitely growing because they see where the opportunity is. And then we have the others. And I would say that this is the other segment um, are where it's lagging behind uh, quite a fair bit, uh, especially for Japan and Korea. Uh, these two countries actually was one of the earliest adopters of crypto uh, and they have a, a lot of big major exchanges. The user base is quite wide, but they still have not really been using DeFi in a major way. I think there's a few reasons behind it. One of this is like the historical reason that um, most of the knowledge of DeFi has been uh, communicated in English and they are just do not interact with the English speaking community that often. A second thing is just that the, the whole culture is just uh, not that um, conducive to try out new things. Um, yeah, actually, a lot of the Japanese crypto users I spoke to say that uh, regulate it's not regulated, so they are not that keen to try it out. 
Although that doesn't seem to be able for all of the other Asia country. Well, India is actually also growing very big, but I actually also put uh, India as part of the English speaking community. Those that who speak English, they usually get up to speak DeFi very fast and use it. Yeah. So that's, that's how I would say uh, among the Asia community in terms of DeFi adoption right now. Yeah, thanks, Arjun. Actually, that's, a, that's an insightful segmentation. Definitely, I think the English speaking and then the localization and then the local culture of each country definitely affects the rate of DeFi adoption. And anecdotally, I think it's very aligned with what you're saying. Uh, and maybe let's, let's try to see whether there's some data backing it up. So perfect segue to TM. You know, we know that CoinGecko is uh, definitely directly interacting with a lot of users. Get you have a lot of uh, data from on chain and so on, and even from your own website. So do you have some sort of breakdown of behavior that gives us uh, any insight into this? Yeah. Um, so I think I think one of the things that I could see being very obvious is to also rehash what Arthur mentioned with regard to uh, the Philippine user base uh, playing XDMD. So when I look at the breakdown of the most popular pages uh, in Southeast Asia, for example, uh, Philippines is one of the highest. And then what do they look at? They look at things like SLP, which is uh, the breeding token in XZ Infinity, and also the XZ Infinity token itself. And while it may not seem very obvious in first glance that this is not related to DeFi, but the fact that XZ Infinity, the game, has cracked the play to earn model really, really well. Uh, in the Philippines, uh, during COVID and even before COVID, um, you know, people are always looking for ways to, you know, increase their income share, right? When you're in Southeast Asia, for example. Um, so they found a way that they can just play this game and be able to sell uh, the resources that they accumulate to someone else and then be able to tap into DeFi, right? Naturally, you have to use things like Uniswap to sell your tokens and then go onto a fiat gateway to cash out your, your earnings. So so that's what we are seeing uh, right now. And then, uh, of course, like the, the second highest, like, like page views are things like PancakeSwap, right? It's, it's everywhere, right? This is happening. Um, in Indonesia, uh, Vietnam, uh, India. So this shows that, that a lot of the retail people are really just looking at, at you know, BSC and looking at, at, at cheap ways to um, you know, make use of all these services and, and find yields all over the place. Um, but also top it up that, that you know, like, I think um, the, the way I see it also, like, um, we segment users also based on like this crossing the chasm kind of curve. Like there is this early adopter, uh, late majority, early majority, and then the laggards, right? So, which is very similar to what Arthur put it, but this could also be applicable towards the entire world. Like, like within Asia itself, there's a very, very specific problem. So, like, you just bring in a stock service into, say, uh, Philippines, for example, it wouldn't work the same way like you bring a stock service in the US. You have to find out, like, what is it that they're looking for? And in this case, like, for XCNPT, they found out that, you know, people in Philippines have to play a game and they found out they can earn money from it. And that sort of, like, creates a problem. And I think every country in Southeast Asia has this sort of uh, things that we need to figure out. When it comes to South Korea and Japan, I think also like, uh, as Arthur mentioned, why there's not much interest in DeFi, I think also because that uh, historically they've always been uh, very familiar with Forex trading. So they love to you know do high frequency trades on, on exchange, which is why when they see DeFi, maybe they're not so used to. Um, so yeah, those, those are some of my, my, my uh, viewpoints. Yeah, do you have some specific numbers potentially, you know, Asia versus the world between these different countries. Some. Yeah, I, I don't have the num exact number on top of my head, but looking at continents, uh, something that I see from, from time to time is that uh, Europe as a whole is, is like one of the largest, and then followed by the US and followed by the Asia. Uh, but of course, within US, it's skewed by perhaps North America, and then in Europe, it's skewed by say like Germany or those 
uh, you know, uh, larger countries. And then in, in, in Asia, I think Indonesia is the one that, that is bringing in the, the largest population. And a lot of them are really experimenting in, in, in the BAC ecosystem. I see. So uh, let's say something like Pancake, for example, roughly, you know, how, how many users are coming from? Is it, are we talking about like one third of entire Pancake stops, like Indonesians? Or are we talking about like 10%? Um, I need to look up the, the figure. I, I don't have that with me at this point. Yeah. Right, so, but, but definitely, it's a, from what we hear, it's a very significant, right? I think just uh, based on populations, it should be quite uh, intuitive. Yep. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, Tim. And that certainly brings a lot of uh, confidence to that. And now, of course, we have to address the, the elephant in the room, uh, which is the Chinese community. So we understand that China in many respects it's quite a unique case it's a bit it's like a wall garden in a way you know like the whole internet you need to use vpn for many sites are blocked right the social media is totally different use like wechat uh live stream use like bilibili instead of like crowdcast or youtube and like even the news sites right you consume from like chain news or mars finance uh or instead of like condes or other blocks so everything is almost like a parallel system so mabel uh given you are in the middle of all of this What's your take on this Chinese community sentiment and trends in DeFi? And let's get very specific as well. You know, what are some good examples of projects who have successfully grown a real community there? What did they do right or what did they do wrong that we can learn from? Yeah, absolutely. I um I definitely give them a lot of thought around this. I think generally speaking, for Chinese speaking people, um people like the, we, we kind of was joking internally that um, we have an updated thesis for our open finance, which is like, you know, we, we should invest in um, projects that do stuff. So what does that mean? Um, it has like a, a few connotations around it. First of all, it's obviously, you know, the, the projects are constantly giving um, a lot of updates um, to the to the community so that like people are constantly know, in the know like what where they are, even if it's like, you know, half-baked products. Um, but at least like they have the interaction with the community. And then second of all, like they do have a lot of um, like various um, iteration of their product itself. Um, and then they basically just let people try out, you know, version 1.1, 1.2, and then constantly taking feedback from the market and iterate from there again. Um, and also more, more um, beyond that, I think a good example is Sushi. Um, so Sushi compared to Uni, I actually wrote a, an article in the past. Um, I thought that was kind of summarized what, what really the, the contrast was. Like, so, so for Sushi, they really kind of navigate the market via a, a lot of operational strategies versus um, I think Uniswap was focusing more on the product angle. Like it was focusing on iterating the um, meticulous tweak of whatever, you know, from V2 to V3, obviously there was like a big, you know, giantly, you know, in between, and a lot of design was um, put into the thought in, of that. But there's you know, a, a large gap in between. You know, people don't know what's going on, and you know, people are just you know wondering, and nobody really can give an answer for that. Versus sushi, um, they like to engage with the community. They like to let people know um, monthly or weekly um, what they've been actually doing, what are the new newest um, development on the roadmap, and then what are some of the you know added feature for to enhance or, or complement the user experience for the AMM and whatnot. 
Um, so I think that's like really, and then also they co-marketing a lot with their, with the project that, you know, launching with them. For example, I think Onzen and Miso that's like launching tonight. I think that's like, those are a really, really good example compared to, to Uniswap. I don't think there is any um, way to judge like whether one way is better than the other one, but just like, I think the sushi swap kind of route is better feed, feed it for, um, fit for, for Asian or specifically Chinese community. Um, people like to have a lot of update from the, the, the DeFi projects. Um, I think maybe Alpha was another kind of example. Like they are just a kind of team that um, like they constantly try to identify what, where are the problems within the market and then we're able to deliver new products to solve the, the market. Those can be very, very niche um, pain points, but those are well addressed with their um, features or products, you know, that deliver from Alpha Finance Labs. So I think that the community also really like that. Um, so kind of summarize my, my point there, I think um, the, the Chinese community really like to have the, the kind of more operational strategy focus and more smaller steps um, in the product update rather than you give them a very well thought um, and then like full, fully baked product, you know, once in a while and then you, you just disappear in between. I don't have much interaction. So I think that's probably one of my biggest observation over the past, I'd say like one year or two. Awesome, yeah. Well, because when you say like they communicate like sushi, right? But you know, mm -hmm. it's like a fair launch project. So, uh, who actually communicates, right? Like the community took it up themselves, and they they wrote content in Chinese. They moderate this group themselves. How how did they come to do all this stuff? Yeah. So this is another interesting thing that I wanted to point out. Um, for many of the projects that I think um, were thriving in China, they usually have a China based China lead. For Sushi, there was someone who's, um, I mean, she's part of the team, but then like she's leading a lot of effort on, she doesn't name herself as China lead, but at least like she's a native speaker. She delivers all the content in Chinese. And then even I think right now, um, if I wasn't mistaken, the, the website itself is even translated into Chinese. So I remember there was like a small incident like a, a year ago when someone used Compound um, they don't understand what the racial, one of the racial men, and then they just accidentally get liquidated. So I, I thought that was a really interesting contrast compared to what um, Sushi is trying to do. Like they try to really um, deliver the materials, the marketing materials, um, the monthly update in the corresponding language. Um, I think China was probably one of the biggest market for them. I, I don't know really the, the kind of um, actual number because I don't have the data. But I think, you know, they realized this is like super important to have the native um, customization. And, and I thought that was a really smart strategy. Awesome. Thanks, Ayo. A lot to learn from there. I, I see Arthur kind of like agreeing a lot. You, you want to jump in with some uh, reactions or comments here before <laughs> we go to you? <laughs> Uh, no, uh, I would echo what Mabel has said. Um, yeah, there, I think there's really a lot of on the execution side. Um, and uh, and also trying to put more different product feature inside one single app and become a super app instead of like the more like a specialization. I think this is, seems to be what the Asian community has been more used to. Mm. Yeah. That was my thesis as well. <laughs> nice. Very strong pieces here. Now, coming to now the English speaking side, Singapore. 
So we have this now, this tiny country here, but somehow we're punching well above its weight, right, in Singapore. So there's this huge concentration of talent and capital that's like really world-class. You mentioned quite a few whales here. And of course, recently we know uh, Alex from Nansen also moved here. And I mean, yourself being based here, one of the leading lights also. <laughs> so what is up with Singapore? Like why is this little island crypto uh, becoming a crypto hub? A lot of reason, uh, but I think the first reason is that Singapore traditionally, especially over the last 10 years, has just been cementing its status as a financial hub um, and also to a big extent wealth management hub as well. So as a result, like the whole policy is just very friendly to investor uh, and also it's a good city to live in, like it's uh, stable and uh, good for bringing up families. So as a result, I think um, among Asia, if you want to talk about financial hubs, uh, there's really Hong Kong and Singapore. In Hong Kong, given the recent uncertainty, I think just that a lot of people have been looking at Singapore as a better option over the last few years. And I think that having no capital gain tax is also a big draw. Um, if you were to count on it, like among the developed countries that with without any capital gain tax, I think there's only less than five of them. And uh, Hong Kong and Singapore is the main two. And then you have New Zealand and some Middle Eastern country. So naturally, I think that attracts a lot of the uh, crypt talents here because I think uh, having doesn't need the fact that you do not need to pay capital gain tax make a major differences in your decision making and also to your to a big extent. Um, and I would say recently that oh, I actually just attended, I probably shouldn't say that, but yeah, I, I attended some private session you know, on crypto and DeFi organized by um, uh, Central Bank of Singapore. So it actually has been more, you take, you look at, you will notice a very different approach taken by the regulator here uh, compared to regulator elsewhere. Like um, I would say US regulator, um, uh, as a matter of fact, are a lot more prosecutorial. Like if they think you are wrong, they will go after you. Um, civil lawsuit or even a criminal lawsuit. But in Singapore, if you're, you know, if you're illegal, you do something illegal, yes, they will go after you. But generally, like, if you're doing something, uh, it's probably not 100% illegal, they'll usually try to understand what you're doing first. Before that, okay, we are going to bring you to court and bring you to jail. So I think people know that if I do something here, as long as I'm not, you know, doing something outright illegal, uh, it's something that's more innovative, but uh, might be more frontier, at least I will not be put into jail immediately. <laughs> so I think that's also one of the a key attraction that people feel more safe building stuff here that might not be 100% complying with the existing regulation, but it's also not something that's malicious in nature. People feel they have slightly more freedom to innovate here as well. Um, and I think last but not least is just, um, um, it's just a good place for the smart and rich people to, to base here as a tax domicile and all these things. So this naturally and slowly creates a growing network effect, you know, smart people talk to each other and they form something here and the major crypto company also see it as a very attractive base to set up um, their regional headquarters here with the recent implementation of the regulation piece, what we call the Payment Services Act in Singapore. It given the centralized crypto exchanges a lot of regulatory clarity. So they are able to operate with a legal status here. So as a result, Coinbase, Gemini, Kraken, they all hire a regional, I'll say Asia Pacific head, that's all based in Singapore right now. 
So that definitely helped to grow the ecosystem here a lot more. And also, uh, DBS, uh, the largest bank in Singapore, also announced that they have a crypto offering services that just launched late last year. So definitely have given a lot of legitimacy to, to the whole crypto space in Singapore. Yeah, there's yep. so much happening here uh, from like the private sector, like I said, like some of the largest banks, the regulators engaging, and then the people moving here as well for the tax reasons and so on. Although, uh, like you mentioned, right, with, as a fund management and wealth management kind of hub, it, it seems that, you know, a lot of uh, the firms here are like the trading firms, right, the hedge funds, the, the whales, uh, and in terms of projects still, uh, we don't see as much, or you think there is more like moving or should come? I think that um, it's already punching above its weight given the population size, because uh, it's, it's a numbers game, right? The more people, the more software engineer you have, the more likely you are going to have a successful startup from whatever sector um so i think singapore already have, have like a few i think uh, like less probably less than five but decently successful DeFi startup um uh, like kyber network switcho um and a few others as well i think there's a few emerging and they're probably a non they're also based in singapore um so i think given that um it's doing well um but i definitely more can more can happen i think that you guys along hash are doing a great job to accelerate that uh, as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, we have some time. So let's maybe we can speed up a bit and move to Thailand. Well, with the speaking of institutions now, uh, we have an excellent case study already among us. We've making a successful transition. So there's, there's a very incredible story here. Uh, Thai, could you share about, you know, how did this SCB 10X come about? Uh, from like an institution into this kind of like venture building platform and then what are, what are the implications or what do you see among the other institutions uh, in Thailand or in Asia? Hmm. Yeah, sure thing. So I guess for us um, at the beginning of last year, we were actually looking at the different type of disruptive technologies that we could um, invest in and potentially disrupt the bank. And uh, we came across DeFi while we were looking at the blockchain space in general. And we actually really amazed by it because it has everything that uh, traditional uh, can be like credit lending, asset management, um, insurance, trading, derivatives. And, and we were like, wow, um, if we are not careful, our bank can completely uh, be disintermediated and then the, the two lender and borrower could just you know, do business with each other via smart contract on blockchain. So we like, this is kind of like self-defense that we have to do the study now uh, on what's going on. And um, yeah, really like uh, we should really understand what's going on, find partner, try to see whether that's a way that the traditional finance, uh, DeFi, integrate together or something. and and potentially like uh, if we could become a disruptor ourselves in, in the DeFi space. Yeah, so um, that, that's the genesis of um, why we now become quite active in DeFi. And uh, that's also the reason why beginning of this year, we, we started uh, the $50 million blockchain and DeFi fund to specifically focus on this area so that we could um, you know, invest with both strategic reason and also financial return reason um, yeah, we, we amazed at the growth because um, when we started out in March last year, looking at DeFi at that time, uh, the total value lock was only $300 million. And now it's like 
DeFi Llama is already $180 billion. So the, the growth, uh, I think, would just become even exponential from here. And, and therefore, we um, have to really study this area and, and prepare the bank and, and find partner. Yeah, for um, SCB 10X, um, we are not just an investor. We are also the builder as well. We have um, developers in-house with strong technical capability. Uh, we would like to invest and then participate in the protocol. We invest and then participate in the ecosystem that we invest in. So for example, uh, for Alpha Finance, um, because the team is really small, and uh, they innovate very fast. So we actually send our developers to go help them, um, you know, with uh, Alpha Homura. And um, yeah, that was uh, wonderful because we also get to learn uh, from Alpha Finance as well about DeFi. And um, for Terra ecosystem, which we invested into Anchor recently, um, we also quite active right now. We launched the validator node for Terra so that we could help, you know, secure um, that network and um, also help bring stability and transparency into the blockchain network. And on top of that, right now, um, our developers also develop um, DeFi projects for Terra so that, um, you know, we could help uh, expanding Terra ecosystem. Yeah, so um, in general, right now, uh, we actually talk to a lot of um, corporates in Thailand who now interested in DeFi because they saw um, a lot of token, especially like Alpha and Band Protocol from Thailand, right, went up uh, 10 times and they're excited about it and they would like to know what's DeFi. So at SCB10X, we actually kind of like ambassador of DeFi, um, our people to go educate corporate in Thailand about DeFi 101, things like that, yeah. Um, in general, in terms of institution-wise, um, we we see a lot of um, institutions that have been quite active with their venture capital, uh, their corporate venture capital investing in blockchain, but we haven't seen that many invested already in DeFi. I think we might actually be the only one. But uh, yeah, we, we think that this space is um, we, we were really amazed by it and we would like, um, yeah, would like more institutional to come in and, and see what it's like. Yeah, it's, it's so incredible that SV became like such a, an early adopter, I think, in the DeFi space. If we, I think it's, we all agree it's still very early, right? So how mm -hmm. actually come about, right, that political will to like just do it and like jump into it? Uh, and you know, are you seeing a similar reaction uh, among the institutions you're talking to? Yeah. Um, in terms of SCB, we are quite innovative and progressive bank because we invested in Ripple since 2016. And then um, we not just invested in Ripple, but we also bring Ripple to use as well. So we use RippleNet, um, you know, to do like a payment and remittance. Actually, I could send my money from Thailand from SCB bank to uh, DBS bank, use RippleNet. And, and also we use the on-demand liquidity that use XRP um, as well to, to do payment and remittance. So, so that type of uh, progress has been there. And um, yeah, in general, like uh, the bank is very receptive for the new technology. And we actually have um, the CEO of the bank actually on SCB10X board he's the chairman of the board so he actually knows what's going on and when we present the new innovative technology he um you know 
really like um, peace and would like for us to actually going forward to to do investment and to really understand what's going on. Uh, we, we get a very much support from um, from the board and from the management of uh, Sayang community in order to put this forward there. In general, I think that um, institution uh, they still study right now to see the risk um, and and what could happen if they diversify how they you know have to think about like uh, in terms of risk management uh, reporting. Um, AML. Yeah, so so I think um, it is something that um, might be slow progress, but I, I would think that there will be more and more institutions coming into DeFi to participate into the network. Awesome. And we're certainly looking forward to that day where more institutions come in. Uh, I noticed we have barely a few minutes left, so I'm just going to like shrink the remaining few questions into into one kind of a summary. So we've heard so many great insights today, right, from all the way from like the data to like retail uh, to institutions and in various parts of the countries in Asia. So we also talk about some very practical steps uh, to get started. Uh, at Longhash Ventures, we're actually putting together an Asia strategy playbook so that teams know where to start as well. We'll certainly incorporate many of the insights here today and bring that uh, to the founders. Uh, we also we have also identified certain networks, like of course our own uh, Asia DeFi network. Uh, there's a China chapter of uh, the DeFi Alliance, which is great. There's IOSG's Kickstarter program, which has a lot of great people in Asia as well, and our own accelerator program. So uh, we also we're going to pull together all the service providers here, media translation institutions to connect with. So in the long run, still uh, it's best for everyone to have their own organic communities and service leaders from there, right? Uh, to wrap it up. Do you have any kind of like very specific practical tips for uh, teams or founders to grow in Asia to get you as a user or like you think has worked? Just like some very practical tip uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, should we go to, maybe start with Arthur this time? Um, yeah. Uh... Do not have anything specific? I think probably others can start. Okay. Uh, TM? Um, maybe not specifically for Asia, uh, but it applies in general, right? So I think right now what kind of excites me, I think there's a lot of problem that needs to be solved is the uh, universe. So we are seeing a lot of traction in other blockchains, uh, a lot of ecosystems are being built. I think right now, at least right now in Empire, a lot of the projects are being uh, copied away from Ethereum into all these different chains. And, and there's a product market fit in the sense that Asian uh, user base uh, find this very appealing because of the lower cost gas fee, you know, easier to participate, there's an easy on-ram. Um, but now, now that you've already developed all this ecosystem in various different places, uh, what's next, right? So I think there's this fragmentation issue with regards to you want to utilize two to three different chains at once, you want to make a single transaction where you can borrow on one chain, swap on the other one and then uh, use it on another chain and then hold a receipt on the chain that you want. So there's all these issues, right? So I think that, that missing gap is where the opportunity probably is uh, moving forward. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I think for anyone looking to build a DeFi product, I think looking for a, a niche um, that is untapped, like something that is not something that anyone has done before just to cater to a small group of audience, 
is probably the way to go because right now there's just a lot of uh, saturation in terms of competition and, and whatnot. So um, I guess, uh, I don't know how this applies to Asia, but I think it's in general where you want to just zero in onto a, a niche, a small use case and then grow from, from there. And uh, when, when you ask me, I think multi-chain has a lot of problems that need to be solved in regards to segmentation that entrepreneurs could take advantage of. Mm. Multi-chain, cross-chain, clear niche. Very nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for me, I, I want to see more development on infrastructure or like cross-chain communication. Just, just feel that uh, there are a lot of um, DeFi app or app um, innovation in the last one year, but the infrastructure caught up. Um, yeah, I'm also interested in um, L2 and, and all these like cross-chain communication um, projects that, uh, that could happen. Yeah, looking forward to see more in this area. Mabel? Uh, I was muted. Um, yeah, I think I think I just want to build off what TM just mentioned. Um, I think I think people here in Asia, they are less ideological. They're more practical. They'd like to see the product really delivered. I think, you know, the really the reason behind why people like to have multi-chain, which is not just because um, they want to see the thing everywhere, but more like, you know, they want just want to use it regardless where the, the application is set at. Um, they are less kind of um, like focusing on whether something is more decentralized versus something is, um, you know, more um, more of a POA type of chain or, or that kind of thing. So um, I think that's really what um, they want looking for. They want like rapid iteration. They want um, products that can be you know, having some new features every now and then that they can test it out and give feedbacks and, you know, the team can really be interacting with them. So I think that's one of the, the thing that um, I think Asian community would really like. On top of that, I think hire, hiring someone who speaks um, the local language is actually, uh, actually also very, very important because I think in Asia, um, as I wrote previously in another article, I think trust is, um, like Asia is a very high trust community as in like they people really like to have FaceTime and um, real interaction. And, you know, at a um, post-COVID world, it's traveling is obviously hard, so you can't go there, but at least like, you know, having the FaceTime and to be at a lot of the AMAs, a lot of the off offline panels and conferences, like those are also pretty pivotal. Um, I think it's actually more important for Eastern um, community to see that compared to the Western. I think Western, they, they're very, kind of open to Twitter discussion and Discord discussion. I think that's just like by nature, it's a it's an East and West dichotomy. Um, yeah, and then even just like, you know, getting exposure to the, the local KOL who have a lot of um, followers. Um, I think those are also like pretty, pretty pivotal as I think, you know, the DeFi space has grown to become um, more community driven than institutional driven. So these key opinion leaders, the influencers, they're opinions, um, whether, whatever they write, is actually matter as much as what the, the institution said. Um, so I, I think that kind of summarizes my thoughts. Thanks, Mabel. Right, want to wrap up, Arthur? Yeah, uh, I'll probably add that um, to echo everyone's view. Um, one thing I'm most excited about is actually, I think, the scalability solution is going to be ready within the next three months, I would say, even for Ethereum. So I think it's 
the industry or the space, the DeFi space is actually ready to onboard millions or even tens of millions of users over the next six to 12 months. And I think this is something I'm very excited about because this movement has been growing very quickly, actually even uh, faster than what I've expected. And I think it's actually going to accelerate further from here. So uh, yeah, I think that a lot of the activity we saw is just going to increase exponentially and um, the scalability solution is going to help this to uh, accelerate. So yeah, this is something I'm very excited about. Yeah, And I think for Asia, it's just um, a lot of communication is needed and localization. Um, I would say that I hope that someone can penetrate the Japanese and Korean community. Um, yeah, so that I think DeFi is all the most um, productive and uh, sector with the most obvious use case. And I think it's a pity that they have not been able to interact with it as much as the other community. So I do hope that, you know, they they participate in this and they see see more usage there. Yep. Indeed, indeed. Well, we've covered so much. So I think we can call it a day here. And thank you so much to everyone to, uh, to share your insights with us today and join us in taking the time. Just to just before we leave, do you want to just uh, share where can people reach you or follow you? Maybe your Twitter or website, wherever you like to uh, share. So, Arthur. Yeah, I'm most active on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Arthur underscore zero X. Yeah. Should we go around, Mabel? <laughs> yeah. Um... Likewise, um, for the uh, as like English speaker, I am mostly active on on Twitter as well. Mabel underscore Jang, that's my um Twitter. Um, I guess like on top of that, please feel free to follow my podcast on um Apple Podcast. It's um fifty one percent by Mabel Jang. Yeah, do check it out as well. Hi. Yeah, I I guess Twitter as well. Yeah, Thai punish. You can find me. Okay. And TM? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at TM Lee, or you can just swing over to CoinGecko and just uh, interact with our team members over there. Uh, we are always ready to, to help as much as we can. Yep. All right. Looks like Crypto Twitter is the way to go. Once again, thank you so much, everyone, for your time. This has been the Web3 Native Podcast, first episode on DeFi Real Talk on the ground in Asia. And I hope all of you uh, and all of us have learned something here today and can go ahead and build some awesome stuff in Web3 and DeFi. See you again next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys.